0: Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comments for the Apocalypse. On today's episode I speak to comic book writer and exceedingly nice chap Yavi Mohan about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I just wanted to let you know that from next week, I'll be taking a two-week break whilst I move house. Uh, We will be back on Monday the 4th of October, but if you're new to the show, then now is a good time to catch up on some previous episodes with the likes of comics editor for Valiant and Image, Heather Antos, or Judge Dread artist PJ Holden. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Yavi Mohan. How's it going? Hey, Sam. Yeah, not bad, thanks. How about you? Yeah, pretty good. Um as we were kinda of saying before we came on the air, it's a blisteringly hot day today here in, is, yeah. uh, in the UK. But uh yeah, it's kind of good and bad, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it kind of, sort of feels a bit too real, I guess, doing in apocalypse themed podcast with the weather like this. Very much. So. Uh, yeah, so I know, I've tried to find the quietest room in my flat to record this, but it's uh, probably also the hottest room. So you know if you hear a thud <laughs> at some point and
0: yeah i oh, might have to pick uh, up again next week yeah, yeah definitely well I'll call, I'll call an ambulance for you mate uh, cheers. <laughs> yeah, do, do the best that i can um but yeah, uh, oh, no worries uh well thank you so much for for being on the show today um uh, no thank, thanks
1: for having me i'm a big fan of podcasts so it's oh, really great to
0: be here. thank you very much um and for for anybody that doesn't know uh what do you do in the world of comics
1: So, uh, I'm pretty new to the creating side of comics, um, but I am a writer, and I've written my first issue of a planned four-issue miniseries called Balancing Act, uh, which is kind of a buddy cop comedy, but with superpowers. So, I basically want to kind of take Beverly Hills Cop and tell that kind of story, but with superheroes. Awesome. Yeah. So, it's it's being drawn by Lee Miluski, who's a, a really talented artist from Florida, uh, who's had loads of successful Kickstarter comics, which is great, and uh, yeah, we're hoping to launch it on Kickstarter in September.
0: Brilliant! Well, I'm really looking forward to to seeing that in its in all its glory, um, <laughs> and uh, hopefully, um, it will uh, it will be out as this uh, as this podcast airs. So, um, yeah, thanks yeah for um, if uh, Hopefully, as long as the the timings work out, um, yeah. Just so I, I assume people will just be able to search for "balancing act" on Kickstarter.
1: Yeah, simply so. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Um, and then, uh, where else can people find you on the internet?
1: Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Spidey Reader, which is because I sort of started off my comic social media presence uh, last year by talking about my attempts to read every Spider-Man comic. <laughs> Epic. <laughs> and uh then you can find uh me on Instagram and Facebook at Balancing Act Comic, which is all one word.
0: Great. Excellent. And uh, of course those links will be in the show notes so people can uh, just click through uh to those to those websites right there. Uh now, unfortunately um I do have some bad news for you, Yavi. Um, and that okay. is the, the. There's been some breaking news. Um, yep. That there's actually an asteroid heading right for London. Um, right. And so I've got two questions for you. Um, firstly, yep. what's your what's your plan of action um, for the the impending uh, asteroid, and and what's your plan for survival afterwards?
1: <laughs> uh, so my first instinct was to make a Bruce Willis joke here. But uh, then I, I thought back to other episodes and I realized I wouldn't be the first uh, or the second or the third, probably. So so I thought I'd just let that one slide. Um, no, I, I had to really rack my brain on this question, because, you know, if you ask anyone who knows me, they'll I'll tell you I'm probably one of the least likely apocalypse survivors they can think of. Uh, I'm very much a creature of comfort. I don't really have any kind of survival skills. I, don't, I didn't even do Duke of Edinburgh at school, so, you know, I might be in for a bit of trouble. <laughs> uh, I was listening to uh, Barry Nugent's episode a couple of weeks ago, actually, when right. he said he'd just kind of stand in the path of the asteroid because yeah, he didn't want to live in a post-apocalyptic world. with an asteroid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was, I was kind of like, you know, I didn't realise that was an option.
0: I oh, know. <laughs> um, Barry just, like, totally <laughs> out of left field, like, thinking outside the box.
1: <laughs> yeah, but no, I won't just copy him. So I, th- I, th- I thought my plan for the asteroid would be just kind of buy a load of my favourite foods, try and get some friends and family around, uh, hopefully including my wife, and just kind of spend time with them and basically pig out with no real concern for my long-term health and <laughs> yeah, sort of maybe get vaporised.
0: Indulge, nice, yeah, nice, excellent. I mean, so at this uh, this very nice dinner party um, for the end of the world, um, yeah, <laughs> the uh, the conversation of comics comes up. Um, Yeah. And uh, your guests wonder, uh, what's the first comic you remember enjoying?
1: So, yeah, like a lot of other people have said, you know, when I was a kid, I read Garfield and the Beano and Tintin and all of those. Uh, But I don't think I really kind of consciously thought of them as comics, if that Mm, makes sense. Yeah. But, um, you know, the first comics I remember really enjoying and appreciating as comics was when I was about 10 and they were Simpsons comics. So they used to sell the trade paperbacks in WH Smith. And I definitely remember bugging my parents to buy me one and I loved it. And so, yeah, on, on subsequent shopping trips, I bought the other three or four that were out at the time. And I had kind of a ritual, basically, where I would get home from school, make myself a sandwich or, or make my mom, ask my mum for a sandwich. And, uh, yeah, just sit at my desk and read and reread the Simpsons comics. And, yeah, when they released a new collection every year, I'd buy that and add it to the rotation. Right. And, yeah, by the time I was doing my A-levels, I probably had about a dozen of them. And the thing is, I've read them again recently, a couple of them, and they are actually still really good. Oh, really? Right. Cool. Yeah, because I think everyone knows The Simpsons TV show is, you know, pretty amazing for about 10 years and then kind of gradually fell off, and it's it's actually pretty similar for the comics, so... Yeah. You know, they were great at the start and they were really enjoyable for about 50, 60 issues. Mm. Uh, yeah. There's some really great storylines and great jokes that, you know, wouldn't have been out of place in the TV show at its best probably. And also, yeah. When I look back at it now, there are even some sort of jokes and references to comic book culture and okay. famous comic book moments, which makes sense because yeah. you know the TV show is full of film and TV parody and references. So yeah, it makes sense that they would do the same in the comic. Mm. Uh, But I think in particular there's the few issues of the comic that are just outright superhero comic parodies, you know, they've got issues focusing on Batman or on Radioactive Man. And uh, these issues just have loads of great jokes that I actually only understand now after years of reading Marvel and DC. (laughs) Uh, Like there's an origin story for Radioactive Man's sidekick, Fallout Boy. And it, it actually just directly lifts some panels from spider-man's origin in amazing fantasy 15 which yeah when i was 10 i wouldn't have had any idea about but yeah when i look back now i was like yeah you know i can see where they've got that from and then um yeah they've got this scene where you've got like two superhero teams fighting each other and they're all spouting these really cheesy lines of pre-fight dialogue that right yeah. that sort of have no purpose other to other than to tell the readers like what all the characters' names and their motivations are, you know, like like hey, sideswipe, remind me why we're fighting these guys again. And <laughs> brilliant, you know, when you see that when you see that joke done, it's really hard to not notice it every time it actually happened in like a '90s X-Men comic or something. Yeah, but uh, but like yeah, that actually added
0: exposition.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but know, it's, it's added another dimension to my reading those kind of classic Marvel and DC comics actually because. Yeah, because the Simpsons comics are so ingrained in my brain after years of rereading that, yeah, when I come across a moment that they parody, I have that moment of, you know, hey, this is familiar. So, yeah, years later, it's kind of kept on giving.
0: Oh, that's funny. Um, and then, yeah. were, like, how long were the storylines, sorry? Was it kind of, you know? Um, I think they were sure. mostly
1: kind of one and done in, in one issue. Yeah. Uh, every now and then, yeah, when, with the superhero stuff, I think there was a the crossover between, like, yeah, they had, like, a Batman issue and a radioactive man issue that all had this sort of slightly epic storyline where I think the nuclear power plant explodes and turns everyone into superheroes. Right. And, cool. uh, yeah, there's sort of some, some really direct parody of, the, yeah, a lot of famous superheroes from Marvel and DC. So yeah, that was great to read.
0: Well, that was cool, though. Um, and so this yeah. was kind of your mid teens by sounds of it.
1: Yeah, sort of at age 10 up to probably, yeah you know, age 17 or so. Yeah. Just kind of, yeah, consistently reading them.
0: That's amazing. Um, and uh, obviously that's kind of where your your love of comics stems from. Um, and mm-hmm. so what kind of, did you continue to read comics thereafter
1: or? No, actually sort of, um, yeah, I think, again, a lot of people that have listened to in your previous episode mm. have said this, but there was sort of, a period where like they didn't really read that much, and uh, I actually sort of probably started again just about when I was starting uni. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't really, you know, not counting Simpsons comics, I hadn't really read anything else before then. Right. And then yeah, from kind of age 18 onwards, I was kind of reading everything I could get my hands on. So yeah, it was kind of just Simpsons comics and only Simpsons comics for for a few years, and then after that, sort of everything.
0: Nice. Cool. Um, and so, uh, at your, uh, end of the world party, um, yep. your, your, your guests move on to the next, um, question, which is what's the, yeah. the funniest or the comic that made you
1: laugh out loud the most? Yeah. So I think this actually might've been the hardest question for me because, yeah. um, I'm a big fan of comedies, and sort of for a long time, I actually wanted to be a sitcom writer. Right. Uh, and then I realized that, you know, you know with comics, you can write something that is just as funny as a sitcom, but has you know much more exciting plots. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, most of my favourite comics do actually tend to have a really strong element of humour. Uh, but I think the one I'd pick is a, a mini series that Alan Moore wrote in the late 90s, called Top Ten. Right. And I think if you had you had someone on a few months ago who chose Alan Moore's 2000 AD stuff as their funniest comic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they were saying it's a shame that he didn't really write anything funny after that. But yeah, yeah, you know, I wanted to say he did. He he wrote this, and I don't really hear a lot of people talk about it. But I think it's definitely yeah, funny is not something that people think of when they think of Alan Moore, because you know normally he's more sort of deeply traumatizing. Um, but <laughs> top ten, top ten, I think is probably the funniest comic I've read. And um it's basically about the officers of this police precinct I think it's I think it's called precinct ten and that's where the top ten title mm-hmm. comes from and uh yeah it just sort of follows them around uh, on some of their cases but it's it's set in this uh, alternate presence so it was written around 1999 so it's sort of set in an alternate 1999 where since World War two the world has been full of like superheroes and genetic experiments and like aliens and beings from other dimensions. There's like there's the uh, the Viking gods in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically kind of whatever Alan Moore could imagine. And he doesn't even explain all of it, which is fine, because, you know, the tone of the story means that you kind of just accept whatever you see on the page. Like, you know, you just accept that the sergeant at the precinct is the talking dog in a robot human body. And, uh, you know, you don't know if he's a genetically engineered dog or an alien or it's from another dimension. But um, but, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but, yeah, all of those other things do feature in the story. There are characters who are kind of aliens and and robots and all of those. There's a lot of robots. And uh, a lot of the humans are a racist towards robots, which you know, obviously it's meant to be satirical, although it's a bit kind of heavy handed uh, now and then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pr- probably the worst. As part of the comic actually is that kind of as part of this parallel between robots and african-americans uh alan moore has had the robots listening to rap music oh, really? um, which which they call scrap music okay. and uh right. yeah the ro- the robot rap lyrics that alan moore writes are, i think probably the worst thing you've ever written yeah uh, so I mean,
0: you'd think that a northampton based rapper would right
1: exactly yeah. So, yeah so you know i a hip-hop fan those those couple of pages are pretty painful to read
0: yeah.
1: but um, <laughs> but aside from that it's a, it's a really incredibly funny comic like um most of the humor just comes from the ridiculousness of the world that he's created and yeah kind of like what i was saying earlier they're kind of almost sitcom like jokes but set in this ridiculous world like like the dog sergeant pretending that he's only attracted to other dogs to kind of cover up the fact that he's perving on one of the human officers. Uh, And then there are these great sort of side jokes that make fun of various comic tropes. Uh, Like, I think my favorite one is that one of the characters has an infestation of mice in his flat, uh, but they're mouse superheroes. And they're having what's kind of basically a a type of Secret Wars, sort of Infinity Gauntlet type crossover event in his flat. Uh, and it's kind of, it's all going on in the background. He's just trying to, you know, talk to the exterminator and get rid of these superpowered, <laughs> incredibly destructive mice. Uh, I of these things are kind of coming across as particularly funny when I describe them. But yeah, I'd advise that anyone.
0: That's hilarious.
1: <laughs> cool. No, but yeah, I'd advise anyone to just read it. It's, you know, it's only twelve issues, and it's it's kind of a great example of what an amazing writer Alan Moore is because mm. it shows him being funny, but there are moments where he's still very moving and. Yeah, I, just, I thought it was really cool to see the kind of thing he can do when he's not being like super dark.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, he can certainly turn his hand to things, can't he?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I think yeah, most kind of genres he seems to have covered at some point. Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, and, and talking about other genres, um, the uh, the next question that comes up from your dinner guests is what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read?
1: Okay, so for me, this is Grant Morrison's run on Batman. Right. Uh, I think it was about ten years ago now that he yeah he started this run on Batman that I don't think was initially intended to be very long, but it ended up being this epic like seventy-five issue run across multiple different titles and series. And yeah, there's kind of the central idea behind his Batman is that every single Batman story happened. And is, mm. it's canon in some way. So it doesn't matter if some of the continuity got overwritten by one of the DC Infinite Crises. You know, it doesn't matter if, if DC explicitly said this isn't canon. Mm. Uh, you know, according to Grant Morrison, it all happened. So, like the weird 1950s stories with aliens, uh, they happened, although I think maybe Batman hallucinated some of them. I can't remember now uh the, the, the camp 60s stuff the the frank miller really dark 80s stuff uh they all happen to this same guy and the only reason that they're so different in tone uh is supposedly that bruce was in different stages of his life and kind of in a different place mentally in each time period and so there are like there are flashbacks and callbacks and references to all of these different eras and um yeah in particular the, the story from the 80s which is called son of the demon where Batman marries Ruthergul's daughter, daughter, Talia, Mm -hmm. uh, and she's pregnant with his baby. And by the end of the story, the marriage is over, and Talia tells them that she's lost the baby, and they go their separate ways. But actually, at the end, you see that she was lying, and she's still pregnant, and she gives birth to Batman's baby and and Mm -hmm. hides it away somewhere. So at the time the story came out, um, the story and therefore the baby... Uh, weren't canon according to DC but then years later Grant Morrison comes along and he says no you know it, it is it's all canon I shall decide <laughs> exactly yeah he kind yeah. of does what he wants yeah uh, he had the baby in fact he's 10 years old now and his name is Damian Wayne yeah and so yeah he, he's a 10 year old but Talia Al Ghul his mother has been raising him as what she believes to be kind of the perfect human you know with the with the goal of conquering the world so, yeah, obviously he's a bit of a sociopath. Um, so, yeah, he's basically an adult level genius, uh, like an incredible martial artist. But he's also this spoiled, arrogant, murderous, nightmare child. So, so yes, yeah, so to finally get to the point of the question, uh, what's sad to me about Morrison's Batman run is the story of Damien, because he's basically been raised without anything that a normal human being would, yeah. would, like, would recognize as love. He's just been trained to be this ruthless killer who will one day rule the world. Uh, and then Talia decides it's time for him to meet his dad and live with him for a bit. But obviously, he's got pretty next-level emotional issues, so he's really acting out. Uh, he's abusive to Alfred. He tries to kill Robin. And yeah, he's just generally this kind of awful little brat who the Batman fan base absolutely hated. When he was first introduced, but he's you know he's still excellently written because how else would you expect a kid who's been raised like this to behave? Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and then and then he gets a lot more interesting after Grant Morrison kind of famously kills off Bruce Wayne. uh Sorry, I've just kind of I made air quotes there. I realise that's not very helpful <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the year or so where everyone thinks Bruce is dead, although actually he's just doing some insane Grant Morrison time travel stuff that i, I so barely understand. And during that time, Dick Grayson fills in for Batman and Damien is his Robin. So Damien's finally got this father figure, or like at least an older brother figure, I suppose, uh, you know, some kind of loving family. And then Talia tells him it's time for him to come back to her. And he said he wants to con- continue to be Robin. So, yeah, there's this great scene where she basically disowns him. It's worse than that, actually, she tells him, if you walk away from me, you'll be an enemy of the house of Al Ghul. And, yeah, Damien kind of looks down. He looks really sad for a moment. And then he just says, I hope I can be a worthy one, mother. So, yeah, without kind of spoiling, <laughs> this, yeah. Yeah, without kind of spoiling this more than I have already, uh, some of the things that Morrison does at the end of the run are also just, yeah, really heartbreaking from Damien's point of view. And at that point of the run, it's being drawn by Frank Quitely, who's, you know, the maybe. And, um, yeah, there are just moments where he really reminds you kind of with the way that he draws Damien uh that this genius ninja crime fighter is you know he's really just a 10 year old boy mm. and yeah I think Grant Morrison actually said that he feels his Batman run is as much Damien Wayne's story as it is Bruce Wayne's mm. and yeah I think Damien's story is probably the saddest I've ever read.
0: Wow that's epic um yeah that's something I need to Delve into myself. Um, it is time-consuming. <laughs> it is seventy-five issues. It's uh, it's a lot, but you yeah. Know, um, if you kind of you know space it out and just commit to reading that, then you know you can you can get through it. Um, so yeah, exactly. uh, that will definitely be going on my uh, to-read list. That's for sure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, and so um, we uh, we move on. To uh, our next question from your guest, and that is, what's the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read?
1: So this was hard as well because I'm I'm quite weird about horror. Uh, I can't handle horror in films or TV at all because okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I actually find scary are you know the jump scares and the music and and the sounds. But what that means is that I usually don't find books and comics that scary yeah um actually i don't know if you ever saw that uh, this korean web comic that was doing the rounds a few years ago okay about this kind of this ghost woman who's trying to find her baby and you scroll down the page and then basically the, the comic becomes animated and it starts scrolling by itself and you can't stop it and it's making this awful rapid clicking sound and then yeah you see the ghost woman's face and it's pretty horrific oh, but God. yeah I don't, I don't think i can count that as my answer because it's you know it's got sound and animation and I can't even really say I read it because I think I just fell off my chair screaming. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so and my actual answer is Bone by Jeff Smith. Right. Which is a weird answer for this question because I'm pretty sure it's an all ages comic.
0: Yeah, I was going to say.
1: <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, so yeah, for people who don't know it, I guess I think Bone has been. How would you describe it? I think it's been described as kind of Disney meets Lord of the Rings. You say that. <laughs> yeah. Because I think, yeah, the three main characters, who are these kind of weird bone creatures, uh, you know, they look a bit like Moomin, don't they? Um, I think they're actually supposed to be actually made of bone, but it's never really explained. But again, you know, that's one of the things I love about comics. Sometimes there are things that just kind of don't need to be explained and you you go along with it. Um, But yeah, the three main bones are kind of similar to a lot of old school disney characters you know like the the mickey mouse and the donald duck type and um yeah there's one in particular who's very similar to scrooge mcduck but kind of greedier and you know without as much of a kind hearted side uh and they they encounter various you know talking animals and magic forests and and a bunch of humans as well so and it's all quite kind of old school disney in that respect mm. um but at the same time you know there're dragons and ancient relics and prophecy and mysterious villains that can kind of magically see everything that's happening everywhere so yeah i guess that's the lord of the rings part and um so i keep taking ages to get to the point but
0: uh, all right so we we need to uh, like set the uh, set the scene <laughs>
1: no good <laughs> so it's all good but yeah if the villain basically that i find really scary in this it's um if this creature called the hooded one and yeah the name suggests obviously they wear a hood and you can't ever see its face and it's it's just drawn in a very unnatural way like kind of mm-hmm. kind of slender man in a way I suppose but um, also its neck kind of bends forward at this really unsettling angle which is why you can't see its face and you know even its speech bubbles are done in a in a different way to all the other characters they're all sort of really uneven and jagged and they kind of seem to like who was out of the darkness of the hood. And yeah, I just, I just found the character genuinely terrifying. And I think mm-hmm. it was possibly the fact that everything else in the comic is kind of all ages and Disneyfied, And it just makes this, you know, this sort of Guillermo del Toro nightmare character <laughs> kind of stand out as even more terrifying. Yeah, the, and there's one scene where it's like, where it's speaking to a character from a distance. And then over the course of the page, it, it gets gradually closer and then suddenly it's right next to him. And, yeah, I think it's the closest thing probably that I've seen to, like, an actual horror movie jump scare, like, done in the pages of a comic. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, yeah, I should, you know, yeah, I should emphasize it it isn't a horror comic. I think it probably, it's just me. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I wouldn't say anyone should read Bone expecting to be terrified, but, um, yeah, just read it, kind of expecting it to be an amazing comic. Cheers.
0: (laughs) It's all good, mate. But that's that's amazing (laughs) that, um... You know with a with a particular character design, yeah you know, that you can really set the set the tone of how evil they are, how ominous they are, um, exactly yeah. And yeah yeah, really kind of you know give somebody the jitters just from like that design kind of in contrast to like this almost disnified land
1: yeah, exactly, and I think I think it's probably one of the things that comes across in the fact that you know he wrote and. And drew it all himself. So mm. yeah, I think when you know people who are kind of talented enough to be able to do that, like I think you know they can kind of really put everything that they want to about the character into the actual character design and, and the drawings so, here. Yeah, that's really awesome.
0: That's incredible, awesome. Um, and uh, so the uh, the next question that comes yep. up is, uh, what's the most meaningful comic to you?
1: So this one, I think, has to be Ultimate Spider-Man uh, by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley, uh, because that's kind of how I, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I read Simpsons comics and then kind of just before uni, mm. I sort of took off on everything else. And I think this was the turning point for me. Um, yeah, this is kind of how I got seriously into comics. because right. uh, You know, he's kind of like a classic sort of gateway comic character than the Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. uh you know whether it's ultimate spider-man or regular spider-man or movie spider-man yeah uh so yeah for me actually it was the sam raimi movie that first i think i was i think i was about 14 when the first one came out yeah so yeah you know for for an awkward geeky teenager you're always gonna identify with peter parker aren't you yeah uh so yeah you know to see a character like that to see a character like that, develops superpowers, and uh, he wakes up and suddenly he's got a six pack and he doesn't need glasses anymore. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. It's, uh, it's just pu- you know, it's pure wish fulfillment um, apart from well, you know, all the tragedy and all of that, obviously. Yeah,
0: uh, like, just skip that bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know, ignore all of that. Um, so yeah, after I saw the second film, I just became properly obsessed with Spider-Man. Awesome. Uh, I had Spider-Man t-shirts, so I had a Spider-Man ring binder at school uh you know thankfully i already mm-hmm. had some friends by that point well, i don't think yeah. I've made once. <laughs> but, well, I mean, um, like these
0: days i think it's fairly normal but back then these days I think yeah maybe that yeah. might be a flag of yes i'm a geek yeah <laughs> but, back in 2004 but, you know but these days it's like it's cool i think isn't it yeah more enlightened times. A, a bit of a different, different uh different layer of the land in schools these
1: days which is rather Yeah, which is it's frustrating, <laughs> but yeah, you know, at the same time, yeah, happy. It's cool at the same time. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's hopefully cute. one day, you know, if my kids are geeky. Yeah.
0: And, uh, and they have yeah, the mantle.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, but yes, yeah, so I thought at this point, the next obvious step is to read the comics. And I want to read all the Spider Man comics. But, uh, you know, like I say, you know, this was 2004, before the day of Marvel Unlimited. And all of that, and it, it really wasn't very easy to get your hands on all the thousands of issues that had been published. Um, but yeah, so like I mentioned, this is kind of a project I have now started sort of last year, uh, kind of using Marvel Unlimited, just trying to read every Spider-Man comic. I think I'm kind of up to the mid 70s so far, and now really? I've taken a bit of a break because, yeah, oh
0: my god, that is an epic and it's
1: undertaking. like a lot, but you know. It is epic, and I've not even like I'm not even that far into it yet. Like, yeah, time-wise, I'm you know a decade into it, but you know that sort of first decade, there was one maybe two issues per month. You know, there's just the amazing Spider-Man and the kind of Marvel team-up, whatever it was. And you know, then you get to the 90s where you, there's probably about 20 different Spider-Man books being published a month. So I think that's where. That's where I'm really going to struggle. But um, <laughs> yeah, just kind of taking a bit of a break at the moment to read other things, so I don't go crazy. Too right, yeah. amazing. But um, but yeah, and back so, in 2004,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Fair no, I kind of I like I learned that Marvel had created this this new Ultimate Universe a couple of years earlier, where where they basically rebooted a lot of the major characters, uh, most prominently Spider-Man, and yeah, they'd they'd redone the origin stories like in a modern setting and, Mm -hmm. you know, without 40 years of impossibly complicated continuity and clones and all of the rest of it. And so that's what I read, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. And I just plowed through however many issues were out by 2004, which is probably about 50 issues. And it was just so readable. Like I know people criticize Brian Michael Bendis for like his spaced out storylines and, you know, the dialogue being a bit cheesy at times, but, but it, you know, it made it really bingeable and it Mm -hmm. is funny and there's a lot of teen drama and it was kind of, you know, exactly the kind of gateway drug I needed to get me into comics So yeah, it just kind of took the best bits of 40 years of Spider-Man and really made it all consistent under one writer. And obviously You know, he added his own new plot points and new twists and new villains. So it was just really great. And I got to the end of those 50 issues and I was like, well, you know, I guess I'm into comics now. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really stopped since. You know, since then it's been about 15 years of of trawling the internet for comic recommendations and just reading as many of them as I can. But yeah, sort of it all started with Ultimate Spider-Man in a way.
0: That's awesome. Uh, And so um, once you'd read... Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, um, all 50 issues. Um, yeah. you know, did you feel like you wanted to create your own comics, or um, is that only a fairly recent thing?
1: That's a fairly recent thing, actually. So, yeah, yeah, even though I've been kind of into writing from about the same time that I've been into comics, Mm. like, you know, I sort of, you know, tried to write a sitcom here and there. And, you know, when I was at uni, I did some kind of comedy writing for stage and that kind of stuff. I don't know why, but it didn't really, like, occur to me to write a comic. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think there were maybe one or two times where I looked it up and, you know, I looked at some sample scripts and I just thought, you know, this looks really complicated. And I, yeah, I don't really know why. I think it was probably the aspect of trying to figure out exactly which panels you fit on which page. Yeah. But then, yeah, sort of in the last year or so, I was like, you know, I've read so many comics, like, surely I should be able to have some kind of idea of, you know, what you fit on one page and what you can't. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just decided to have a go at writing, kind of reached out to, to people on, on Reddit and that kind of stuff to see if anyone would be willing to draw it. And yeah, like I said, kind of. Found this really talented guy in Florida via Reddit, and yeah, hopefully next step is going to get funded.
0: Awesome, man! I'm really looking forward to that. Um, yeah, cheers, and uh, all the all the best with the uh, with future writings. Do you, do you have anything else kind of in the um, in the background? Any other projects that you're working on?
1: Uh, not as such, no. Like. Um, no. I would like to kind of go back to doing the Spider-Man blog, but uh, yeah, at the moment it's kind of on my just till, till I get all the Kickstarter stuff out of the way.
0: Yeah, of course. Too right. Too right. Excellent. <laughs> um, And so the, uh, the next question that comes up from your guests is what's the most underrated comic?
1: Oof. Well, so underrated is always kind of like a tough one, isn't it? Because yeah, unless you pick something that literally nobody's ever heard of, you, uh, You know, you'll always get people saying, oh, that's not underrated. Everyone knows that's great. Uh, So, yeah, the comic I've chosen is arguably one of those because probably most people who have read it will tell you it's amazing. But um, I suppose my point really is that not enough people do give it a chance and read it in the first place, uh, which is because it's a Transformers comic. Uh, Transformers more than meets the eye. And I think so many people will dismiss anything to do with Transformers, you know, because of Michael Bay and, you know, because – yeah, seen as just an advert for the toys or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I really do believe that More Than Meets the Eye is one of the best comics I've ever read. You know, I, I could I could have given this as an answer for my funniest comic of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could have also given it as an answer for my saddest comic of all time. It's it's just absolutely amazing. Um, like the basic idea is that the war between the Autobots and the Decepticons is over. Uh, there's kind of an uneasy peace between them. And, you know, a couple of hundred of them, some who are Autobots, some who are Decepticons, some who are kind of neutral. Uh, They get on the spaceship, um, captained by Rodimus, uh, who's, I think, Rodimus Prime in, like, the 80s movie. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they just go off into space on this crazy quest. And uh, the writer, James Roberts, is the British guy, which really comes through in the humor. So, yeah, if you, if you like British comedy, you should absolutely read this because, you know, about 80% of the dialogue is genuinely funny. Like, he even finds ways to make the ex- exposition funny, which is, mm-hmm. you yeah, really impressive. And loads of the Transformers actually end up having quite a British voice. So you oh. get Rodimus saying things like, you know, result and sod off. and really? <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah, the writer, this, this British guy who absolutely lives and breathes Transformers, and was a childhood fan. And it really comes across in his writing because, yeah, he basically turns every single one of these robots into people, basically with really complex character and emotions. Um, So, yeah, I think there are meant to be a couple of hundred Transformers on the spaceship. And I think in the end, there are probably at least 50 named characters that are characters you actually care about and are invested in. So, yeah, you know, it's obviously not easy to have 50 Robots, firstly, that you can easily distinguish between, mm-hmm. but that's exactly what this series has, which is kind of through a combination of the writing and the really distinct personalities, but also the the art and the coloring, which is just kind of incredible. Like, I think it's probably the best coloring I've ever seen in a comic. Like, I don't think I ever fully appreciated what a difference it can make until I read sort of this and Invincible, probably.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, yeah, this is kind of not a normal. Transformers comic because I think what happened was that James Roberts wrote a few really good stories in some of the earlier comics and so they gave him his own series with uh, a lot of the more minor characters so you know no Optimus Prime no Bumblebee Uh, they they all kind of appeared in a parallel series at the same time and you know I'm guessing they probably said you can do what you like with these characters they're not the main ones so he's yeah he's really pushed the boundaries of what people expect to see in a Transformers comic. Uh, So I think the most well-publicized thing is that he has quite a few of the Transformers in romantic relationships with each other. And, you know, because most of them are, you know, sort of historically depicted as male, uh, they are effectively same sex relationships. Yeah. And yeah, these relationships are just all written in the most touching and sometimes absolutely heartbreaking way. And you, you, honestly do forget that they're robots and, uh, yeah, then aside from that, like, then the fact that, you know, these guys have just come out of a four million year war. Uh, so some of them are experiencing PTSD, cool. uh, paranoia, like grief, addiction. And, you know, anyone listening to these things without having read read the comics might find it a bit laughable. But, like, I, you know, I promise you it's done so well that, um, you know, I got to the, the end of the series. And after a couple of weeks, I started to really miss the characters. Mm-hmm. uh Which I think is always a sign of, you know, like a, a great kind of long run, and yeah, I, d- I did think about just going back and reading the whole thing again, but instead I decided to, you know, buy some of the toys, like any rational grown man.
0: Yeah, too right, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah. So yeah, I suppose the comics did kind of work as an advert for the toys in the end. Yeah, uh, they did. But, uh, that's yeah. or-
0: that's okay, you know. Isn't, yeah. It means something to you and. Um, And also, you know, it sounds like it's a a great story, because how long is it?
1: It is, Is so it's a bit complicated. I think it's Mm. about 55 issues or so, and then it continues the different series with still the same writer, different artists, called Transformers Lost Light for another 25. Um, So it's about 80 issues in total, but there's also some kind of like crossovers with the other series, which are maybe sort of the weaker points, but um, they do Mm. kind of end up introducing new characters into the story who are actually really great. And again, I won't spoil anything, but sort of at the halfway point, they do bring in one of the major characters that kind of everyone who's seen any kind of Transformers will know. And that character joins the crew. So that was a great thing to kind of shake things up.
0: That's awesome. Um, And yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to add this to my to-read list. Cause,
1: yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and
0: I, I, I've never really read any of the Transformers comics myself. Um, Although yeah. um, trans- the 80s animated Transformers, the movie is probably the movie that I've re-watched the most of any
1: Oh, film. really?
0: Yeah. Like, I don't know why. Radford. You haven't seen that film, amazing. No, I haven't. I
1: think I just missed it sort of like age-wise in yeah. there. I kind of I didn't really know much about Transformers until the first Michael Bay film, which I actually, actually did like. But um, yeah. yeah, I didn't really like any any of the follow-ups
0: thereafter was uh, pretty poor. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah the animated um, well, that was actually my introduction to Transformers when I was uh, a kid. Also, so I was I was well on board. But when yeah. you talk to um, people that are maybe slightly older, yeah, um, they really dislike
1: it because yeah because they like there's they kill off a lot of the characters don't they? Yeah, yeah
0: they do <laughs> and they weren't happy with that I was I, I was well keen on Rodimus Prime but uh, <laughs> yeah like some of the yeah like
1: uh for my understanding is actually that pretty much all of the characters in this even though I hadn't heard of any of them mm. they have sort of been around since the 80s so yeah if, you, if you've watched the movie a bunch of times I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot more characters that that you recognize and I would have.
0: Ah, cool. Yeah, I'll definitely have to have to get a uh, a copy of this. I'm I'm sure. Hopefully, they've collected it as a trade or something. Yeah, there,
1: there are trades. Uh, I, I've got mine from Comixology, because I think, for some reason, they're a bit more expensive, like in, in physical print, than a lot of other trade paperbacks I've seen. Um, it's IDW the publisher. Of, yes. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. But okay, yeah. well, apparently
0: I'm 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 just searching on Amazon quickly. But yeah, I think with if you've got a Prime subscription with Amazon, you can yeah. get the Kindle edition for Volume One for free. Oh
1: yeah,
0: definitely do that. <laughs> so that sounds good. <laughs> awesome. So I'll start off with that, and then if I like it, I'll definitely get the start to collect the paperbacks yeah
1: you yeah, know it's not just the humor and like the characters like the actual plot and some of the plus twists are really incredible and there's you know there's some really clever like non-linear storytelling and there are like there are reveals that are kind of built up over the, the whole kind of 80 issues that you know kind of yeah the ending is also amazing which is something you kind of you can't always say about a comic that goes on for that many issues but uh yeah it really is
0: that's awesome, man. Cool. Um, and so, uh, we come on to one of the most difficult questions um, yeah. of the of the show, uh, and that is, for you, what is the best comic of all time?
1: So, yeah, everyone said this is a hard question, but actually, I think, for me, there is kind of one comic that I put on another tier to pretty much everything else, and that's Lock and Key by Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez, because... Yeah, this, this isn't just the best comic for me. Like, this is this is the best anything, like, any form of media. Like, I honestly believe that this is kind of the closest thing there is to perfection in storytelling. Uh, you know, cause Joe Hill is just, like, the fantastic storyteller. He's primarily a novelist, and he's a fantastic novelist as well. And it's just really crazy to me that such an amazing comic could have been written by someone who doesn't even write comics full time like it's almost like an unfair level of talent Uh, (laughs) like yeah i don't know if you've ever had this feeling like maybe it's something all writers get or maybe it's even anyone who does anything creative like when you see something or you read something and like it's just so insanely good that you're just like kind of why am i trying yeah (laughs) 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 like why am i trying to write comics like nothing i will write could possibly be as good as this uh, yeah, it's like this is this is one of the only comics from my list that I didn't reread in the last month or so because I think if I read it whilst in the middle of trying to promote my own comic, like come I might just give up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no. Yeah, eventually, you know, I do come round to realising that this is an unfair bar to compare myself to because yeah. you know, to me to me pretty much nothing in the world is as good as this. Um But yeah, I should probably say something about what actually what it is. So Lock and Key is basically about this family, the Lock family, Lock with an E, and it's mostly about the three kids: uh, a boy, a girl, and then a younger boy. So I think they're aged roughly like seventeen, fifteen, and eight, something like that. And um, at the start of the series, they experience this this kind of family tragedy, and they have to move from their nice city life in, I think, it, San Francisco, maybe. And move into like their huge old family home in the country and and change schools. And, you know, they're going through a really tough time. And what they basically find is that their old family house is full of these magic keys. Uh, So I'm not even going to give examples of what the keys do, because part of the fun of reading it is discovering all these keys that the kids find them and kind of Mm -hmm. figuring out what they do. But, um, you know, it's really got everything like it's, it's it's suspenseful and it's funny and it's, it's deeply sad and it's quite scary actually. It's, it's kind of sometimes described as a horror comic, which I don't think is accurate and I think kind of pigeonholes it a bit because I think it's an, it's like an everything comic really. Right. Um, like this is the first comic I'd recommend to anyone who hasn't read one before. Like, um, not Watchmen where you kind of, you know, you need to know all the superhero tropes that it's dismantling. But, um... But yeah, lock and key because you don't need any context. Uh, the art's fantastic, The characters are amazing, and yeah, I think the story is just perfect. Like, it comes in at just under 40 issues, I think, and um, yeah, I really felt like not a single one was wasted. And I don't think I can say that about any other long-form comic. But yeah, there's not kind of there's not one single like moment even that kind of drags or feels like filler. So mm-hmm. yeah, like I'm not exaggerating, but yeah, when I when I when I finished this comic, like, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I desperately wanted more of it or, like, or something exactly like it. And, like, yeah, I did all these searches for, like, you know, recommend me something exactly like Lock and Key. Right. Uh, and, then yeah, there just wasn't anything. So, instead, I just kind of reread it every couple of years. And because my memory is going awful, I kind of forget some of the twists anyway. So, yeah, even if I remember them all, it's still great to read
0: awesome and how long is the lock and key run
1: i think it's 37 issues something like that okay
0: so i I mean it's 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 fairly long but it's fairly long yeah like massively yeah uh, not 70 80 sounds like they could there could be more
1: (laughs) yeah i'd like to think so i don't know when it actually finished now probably a bit more than five years ago but uh, yeah they sort of bring out the occasional one shot that doesn't deal with the main character that kind of yeah. Like looks into sort of past decades and what was going on with the house and all the magic, sort of in previous generations and that kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Ah, cool, excellent. Um, so um, come on to probably our second most difficult question, <laughs> and that is uh, if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse from this list, which would it be?
1: Uh, yeah. So I'm uh, I'm actually going to make an unusual choice here because um, from the episodes I've listened to, it seems like. People tend to pick their most meaningful comic or or their mm-hmm. best comic or their funniest comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to pick Batman, uh, the Grant Morrison Batman, which is not only my pick for the saddest comic, but I think it's also my least favorite comic from this list. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is to say, like I still, you know, I still really like it, but of yeah. these, the these six stuff. or seven, <laughs> that, yeah, but um, but of these six or seven comics, it's I think the one I love the least. Um, But there's a few reasons, basically, that I'd take it into an apocalypse. Uh, Reason one is that it's very long. Um, It's about 75 issues, which, um, you know, probably second to Transformers, the second longest on my list. Mm -hmm. But um, you do have to really kind of focus on every panel to understand what's going on. So I think it would definitely take the longest to read. And, um, yeah, that's important if um, if I'm going to have a lot of free time and, and limited entertainment. Um, I guess, yeah, this was sort of more for the the post-apocalyptic survival than just the dinner party. But, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Reason two is that Grant Morrison is a very weird guy uh, and he practices a lot of occult magic uh, to the point where apparently a lot of the comics he's written from kind of the mid-90s onwards are these things that he calls hyper-sigils, which... Uh, which I think, if I understand correctly, are intended to sort of make the things that happen in the comics happen in real life. Right. So possibly by reading this Batman hypersigil over and over again during Apocalypse, mm-hmm. I would maybe magically bring to life some kind of Batman who could save me, or perhaps I would I would become the Batman. I don't know how it works. But um, uh, yeah, that's a bit optimistic, maybe. But, <laughs> no, yeah. why not? Why not? <laughs> But uh, no, the main reason I chose it is that people always say that this run and and pretty much everything Grant Morrison has written uh, gets better every time you read it and kind of makes more sense every time you read it. So, you know, the first time I read it was, I think, kind of while it was coming out, it hadn't finished yet. And I hadn't really dabbled in anything this structurally complex before. Mm-hmm. Like, I hadn't read any other Grant Morrison, nothing like that. And, I, you know, I just thought, what the hell is this? Like, this is awful. Like Why is mm-hmm. everyone banging on about it because uh, you know it starts in the middle of a story and like there's no exposition pretty much ever which i think is a bit of a grant morrison trademark like he kind of really expects you to figure out everything for yourself like you now almost a bit too much at times i think but um <laughs> yeah
0: maybe there can be a happy balance for yeah
1: exactly <laughs> but um yeah there's no exposition there's like major plot lines that tie back to obscure stories from you know, the 50s and 60s. And, you know, right. obviously you don't explicitly need to have read, that it helps. So it's not the easiest comic run to understand. And kind of for that reason, I pretty much hated it the first time I read it. And then, you know, 10 years later, having read a lot more DC, a lot more Batman, a lot more Grant Morrison, um, I understood it a lot better and I, I really liked it. So, yeah, I actually read a book afterwards. It's basically an analysis of the run and what actually happens and, you know, what it means. Someone's written like basically a 250 page book just Mm -hmm. about this run. So having read that, then next time I read the run, hopefully I'll understand it even better and like it better. And yeah, if there's an apocalypse and it's all I have to read for the rest of my life, then hopefully I might eventually fully understand it. (laughs)
0: that's awesome yeah I mean it's it's real testament to you know uh the work when you know people start to actually write books on uh, the actual run yeah. itself analyzing it and trying to figure out exactly yeah. kind of all of the nuts and bolts that you've actually put into it so that's incredible
1: yeah which they seem to have done with like half the stuff he's written so yeah him and Alan Moore
0: so <laughs> awesome um and so we come on to our last question um yep. today and that is um what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take into your apocalypse
1: so i'm going to go with a sandwich toaster nice uh, <laughs> or you know panini press i think the one i've got it's called if you want to be fancy yeah but,
0: um
1: <laughs> yeah kind of anyone who knows me will, will tell you i'm big on sandwiches uh you know i really like making sandwiches and you know, obviously eating sandwiches and Yeah, I think whatever you put in a sandwich, like, well, not whatever you put, but the vast majority of them are improved by toasting them. Yeah. So I'm going to assume that, like, in a long-term scenario, wherever I am, you know, there's some kind of generator or electricity available, kind of even if it's powered by people running in a big hamster wheel. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I'm hoping bread is also available, which is perhaps a larger assumption. But, um, yeah, you know, bread keeps pretty well in a freezer, so... Yeah, hopefully that'll be okay if there is electricity yeah, but okay. yeah aside, I hope so but <laughs> aside from that like sandwich toasts usually have a handle and they're made of metal so I think they'd make a pretty great weapon to swing around um possibly you know pretty destructive if you actually you know heated it up first so yeah All trouble exactly like
0: definitely and now uh, what was your uh favorite favorite type of sandwich to toast
1: Favorite type of sandwich toast is I think anything with kind of cheese and bacon in it, like
0: basically yeah, just cheese and bacon. Yeah, <laughs>
1: if you add if you add chicken and avocado and all that kind of stuff, it does get better. But yeah, just cheese and bacon will do. Awesome, nice.
0: Um, so Yavi Mohan, thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse. It's uh,
1: no, thanks again, having pleasure. Them. No, likewise.
0: Oh, it's quite all right. And uh, just one, once again, uh, where can people find you on the internet?
1: On the internet, I am Spidey Reader on Twitter, and I am Balancing Act Comic on Facebook and Instagram. Excellent,
0: um, and uh, of course, uh, hopefully your your Kickstarter is running as we speak and uh, yeah. doing very well. So uh, just make sure that uh, folks at home, uh, if you search Balancing Act in Kickstarter, check out Yavi's work right there. That'd be great. Um, and uh, do you have any cons planned at all this year?
1: I don't actually. So I think I've only ever been to one con just sort of as a guest. But um, cool. yeah, like I said, I'm pretty new to this whole side of things. So I need to sort of
0: yeah.
1: figure out what, how to get involved with that sort of things. But yeah, it's something I'm looking to uh, so the future. So the MCM one at the cool. Excel Centre a couple years ago. Nice, nice.
0: Excellent. Um, well, hopefully, uh, yeah, our paths will cross at some point at a, uh, a con soon. Yeah, um, that'd be awesome. Yeah, totally, man. Uh, but uh, other than that, I'm sure I'll I'll be seeing you on Twitter. Yeah, definitely.
1: Excellent. Um, yeah, okay. looking forward to reading Project
0: Hoax as well. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, looking forward. Dan is steaming ahead with those pages, so um, awesome. I think we're going to end up delivering early, um, probably September, um, potentially. Um, yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll see how we go because um, even- even when you've got the pages done uh with a Kickstarter um yeah um you've still got to kind of pack it all and everything, so that can take yeah. time, particularly when you're juggling work and family and and exactly, like yeah. that yeah so um yeah, we'll see um but uh thanks very much and uh, no, right,
1: Yeah, do no, like I said, I do like an all ages comic that can scare me a bit, so. Yeah, there you go. <laughs>
0: Hopefully this, this will give you a few jitters, I think. Oh, good. Um, but uh, yeah, not, not, not too many, just a gen, uh, generally enjoyable comic, I hope. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Yavi. Cool. Cheers, Sam. Cheers, man. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Yavi for being on Comics for the Apocalypse today. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Yavi's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our links to the various areas of the internet. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.